Jesus' most personal and powerful teachings are conversations with his disciples in the book of John. Nowhere else is his instruction both so simple and so deep. Take your place in the upper room to hear the heart of God that still speaks today. I want to read to you a, uh, something I gleaned out of a book written by Timothy Keller, who's an author and a pastor. And he tells a story, an old story that he had heard as a child. It was a children's story, one of those scary children's stories that some of us heard growing up. But what I want you to pay attention to after you hear the story is his summary, his application of the story. Here it is. He writes, years ago, I read an old fairy tale about a wicked witch who lived in a remote cottage in the deep forest. When travelers came through looking for lodging, she offered them a meal and a bed. It was the most wonderfully comfortable bed any of them had ever felt. But it was a bed full of deep magic, and if you were asleep in it when the sun came up, you would turn to stone. The witch forced a young girl to serve her, and though she had no power to resist the witch, the girl had become more and more filled with pity for her victims. One day, a young man came looking for bed and board and was taken in. The servant girl could not bear to see him turn to stone, so she threw sticks, stones, and thistles in his bed. It made the bed horribly uncomfortable. Every time he turned, he felt a new painful object under him. Though he cast each one out, there was always a new one to dig into his flesh. He slept fitfully and rose feeling weary and worn long before the sun arose. As he walked out the front door, the servant girl met him and he braided her. He said, how could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? He cried and he went on his way. Ah, oh, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. Now, as, as he reflected on this old children's story, here's what he said. God puts sticks and stones of love in our beds to wake us up, to bring us to rely on him lest the end of history or of life overtakes us without the Lord in our heart, and we too be turned to stone. Friends, this is a powerful picture of the truth that our life is far more than we think it is. We think life is about eating and sleeping and, and drinking and having friends when it's so much more than that. Life is about the kingdom of God. Life is about living for Jesus. And the things that are at stake when we talk about the reality of what the scriptures teach, the things that are at stake in our lives are eternal. They have an eternal impact. But I think what happens is many of us just kind of sleep through life 
waiting for that day when we'll go home to be with Jesus. That's not how God wants us to live. He wants us to live with a passionate desire to live out God's ministry as we see it in the person of Jesus in this day and age and place that he has planted us. So wherever it is that you work, wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you are throughout the week, God's desire for you and for me is that we would be his ambassador. We would be his witness. We would be pointing people to Jesus. And so friends, if you are visiting this morning, we are doing a series that we are calling The Upper Room, Conversations with Jesus. And what we want to do in this series is to invite you into these conversations with Jesus. Jesus knows that within 12 hours, he will be arrested and crucified and he will die on a cross. He knows that is coming. And so he wants to prepare his disciples, what is life going to be like after Jesus is walking next to them. Now, he will rise from the dead, and for 40 days he will live among them, and they will still be able to walk with him and talk with him as we are now, but then he will ascend into heaven, and all things will be different. What will happen? Will they give up? Will they just stop? I mean, Jesus isn't there to talk with like they used to. Jesus is going to prepare them for the life that we live today. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, and we're going through the Gospel of John. And I want to invite you to look at these incredible teachings of Jesus. Today we're looking at John 14, just the first, just the first uh, six verses, actually seven verses. And what we want to do is to focus in on these verses. And we want to understand the picture that God is painting for you and me today. Now the context is, his disciples are struggling. And they're going to really struggle in the days, months, years ahead. In fact, of those 11 disciples that remained, 10 would be martyred for their faith without recanting Jesus. Not one of those 11 who suffered, who were martyred for their faith, denied Jesus. Now remember, they, they ran when he was arrested and when he was crucified, but they didn't run after the teaching that we're going to receive and after they meet the resurrected Jesus. Beginning in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, I'm calling this sermon Hope for Troubled Hearts. Now, when I talk about hope, I'm not using that word as we use it in our culture today. In America, and, and this happens in every culture, the meaning of words can change over time. 
And in America today, hope means nothing more than wishful thinking. I might say, I hope it doesn't rain today. Well, I have no power over the weather. And God, who has power over the weather, hasn't told me it's not going to rain, so it's just wishful thinking. Or I might say something like, I hope that the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA title. Thank you. <laughs> Preach it, brother. That indeed is wishful thinking. See, friends, that's how we use the word hope today. But here's what biblical hope is, as we find it in the Bible. Biblical hope is confidence in tomorrow based on the promises that God has given for tomorrow. That's hope. Hope is not wishful thinking from the biblical perspective. Hope is confidence in tomorrow. It's assurance about tomorrow because of the promises that God has made to us. That's why we see two great images in the, in the New Testament when it comes to hope. One of them is in Hebrews 6, and it talks about hope being an anchor for our soul, keeping us firm and secure. Do you see that? What's an anchor? You set an anchor so that your boat doesn't float away, that it stays centered, it stays where it's supposed to be. And so what God does is he gives us promises that become the hope for us that that keeps our lives focused and centered upon the promises that God has made, and we trust in him because he who made the promise is faithful. It's a great image. And so when I talk about hope this morning, what we're going to see are four things that Jesus says to his disciples to help them in a time in which they are troubled. Now, there are some of you here this morning who are troubled. Maybe it's financial trouble, maybe it's relational trouble, maybe it's health trouble, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. I don't know what your trouble is today, but the reality is we all go through troubling times where our circumstances are difficult, where our circumstances are challenging. And these, this teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, and as he continues to give in John 14, what we see is that these are words of hope, assurance, confidence for those times we go through difficult seasons of life. So four things that I want you to see this morning, and here is the first one. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Jesus says, let, do not let your hearts be troubled. Wow, easier said than done, right? Do you find that to be true? You know, you're, you're going through a hard time, but he says, somebody says to you, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, just let it go. Easier said than done. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. Jesus doesn't leave them there. Now, why would their hearts be troubled? Well, their hearts are troubled because they have just heard that one of them is going to betray Jesus. They, even when Judas leaves early, they still don't know it's Judas, as we talked about last week. So Judas, or two weeks ago, Judas leaves early. They still don't know it's Judas, but they also hear that Peter, the rock upon which Jesus said he would build his church, Peter, this impetuous one who is so eager to serve Jesus that this Peter is going to deny Jesus. 
three times. Jesus has been talking about his death, but it just doesn't really compute for these disciples. But that reality is going to come quickly. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to be tried in a mock trial. He's going to be abused and he's going to be crucified and he is going to die. Their hearts are going to be troubled. Friends, I love the fact that Jesus knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I love the fact that Jesus knows our tomorrow, our next week, our next month. And Jesus does not want our hearts to be troubled. He cares about us. He cares about what you're going through today. You can't judge your emotions and your circumstances you can't judge Jesus by your emotions and your circumstances. You can only judge your, your emotions and your circumstances by what you know is true about Jesus. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us. Because Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Because he's better than that. And what he wants for us is far better and far more profound than even being happy in this life even being secure in this life, even being safe in this life. And so Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Here's the first thing that he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now when, I, when he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, the first is a statement. He's saying, you believe in God. And they do, they believe in God. But Jesus is now taking it to the next step. He says, in that same way, believe also in me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am God. I am God. I am God in human flesh. I am fully God. Now, there are people and there are religions that claim that Jesus is not fully God. He is fully God. You see it throughout the scriptures. And so Jesus says to them, you believe in God, and they're probably nodding, and he says, believe also in me. And we're going to see Jesus say to them next week, he's going to say, you know what, guys, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you know who the Father is. Do you want to know who Father God is, our Father in heaven? You've seen me, you've touched me. You've been with me. Now when he, says, when he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, what does believe mean? Now, this word believe, and hear this, because language and syntax matter in the Bible. This is in the present perfect tense, and what it means is, is that you believe currently, and you continue to believe. So Jesus isn't just saying, okay, make a one-time decision for me, and now you're secure forever. He's not saying that. He's saying, believe in me, and keep believing in me. Keep walking with me. Keep following me. Keep being my disciple. Believe. So what does it mean to believe? I just wrote a couple things down I wanted to share with you. It means trusting him. <clears throat> to believe, as we'll see later in John 14, to believe means to obey, means to do what he has called you to do in your life. 
and with your life. Now, you're probably thinking, do my life. I'm not sure what he wants me to do. Well, I can already tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to love him, and he wants you to love one another. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you, as we saw last week, to love in the same way, by the same standard in which he loves you. That's how he wants you to live. And so to believe is to choose in an ongoing fashion. I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for God. I want to live the life I've been called to live. That's what it means to, to believe. It means to trust him. Hear this. Trust him even when things are not going like you want them to go. To trust him. It says in Romans 8, 28, that God has a plan for our lives. And that plan is that all things will work together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, what does that mean? It means that God will take even the ashes of the circumstances of your life, the brokenness of your body, of your mind, of your emotions, the brokenness of your relationships, the brokenness of your career, the brokenness of your work, the brokenness of your finances. He will take that even, and he will bring something great out of it. Now, great does not mean, good does not mean, oh, I'm going to be wealthy. Oh, everything's going to work out. My body's going to heal. Oh, all these great things are going to happen in my life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is God will take those ashes, and he will build something beautiful out of them. Your circumstances may not change, but God will meet you in the midst of your circumstances and he will bring goodness out of it. That is trusting God and trusting Jesus when life is not going as we want it to go. It to believe means to follow him even when life is upside down. And believe me, in the hours ahead for those disciples, life is going to be upside down. Where are you today? Do you believe in Jesus in that ongoing way? Are you seeking to walk with him, to trust him? To believe even when things aren't working out. To walk with him even when things aren't the way we want them to be. To love him. I wonder when the disciples are listening to Jesus say, you believe in God, believe also in me. I wonder if they're remembering the things that they have seen. Wouldn't it have been absolutely amazing to touch Jesus physically? Ah, oh, to walk with him physically in this world. To see with our own eyes the miracles that he, that he performed. I wonder if the disciples aren't thinking, trust in Jesus. Well, remember that time, guys, that we were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping up in the bow and that big storm hit and the the boat's rocking, things look terrible. It looks like the boat is going to capsize. And he's sleeping. He doesn't, didn't even seem to care. And we woke him up and he said, where are your fit? Where's your faith? And then he says, quiet to the wind. Be still. Be still to the waves. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Or Peter, when he was on a boat and Jesus was walking across the Sea of Galilee, something you don't see every day, and he sees Jesus, and he calls out to him, and Jesus says, Peter, come. Peter, come. Peter, come and walk on the water. Come to me, Peter. Walk to me, Peter. 
Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And everything is fine until he realizes what he's doing and he takes his eyes off Jesus. And it says he saw the wind. What does that mean? He paid attention to the wind and he thought, I shouldn't be doing this. And down he went. And what did Jesus do? He reached down and he picked him up. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I loved what Tim had us do as we were singing the, about the forever faithfulness and forever love of God. And thinking about all the ways that he has been faithful and loved us just this past week. Friends, that's the Jesus that I believe in. He's sovereign over everything, my health, my life, my future, my past, my present. And though life doesn't always work out the way I want it to, I know in all things he can be trusted. For he will take even the ashes of my life, even the mess I create because of my sin, and by faith he will create something beautiful. How do we have hope for troubled times? We believe in Jesus. We remember who he is. Here's the second thing. We remember that this world is not all there is. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He's gone to prepare a place for you. Listen to what we read. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now, I think most of the time when we read this verse... What happens is we picture heaven as this big old house. And Jesus is up there with a hammer and nails, and he's just banging out a room for each of us, right? He's just adding on rooms for all of us. Now, I don't know that that's the image of heaven, because, friends, here's the reality. The Bible doesn't teach a lot about heaven, and here's why I believe that's true. We do not have the capacity to comprehend how, how amazing heaven really is. We can't do it. I think Jesus is giving us a picture that the disciples would immediately connect with to help them understand and be encouraged by this reality. Though we may feel alone today, we are not alone. And we will not be alone for eternity because we will be with him. Jesus is giving us the bigger picture. What happens when we struggle, go through troubled times, we focus on what's happening in that moment. That's all we can see. Jesus is saying, take your eyes off that. Look at the big picture. I'm preparing a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I am going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Friends, one of the things I found is so powerful for me is to take my eyes off my circumstances and to look at the bigger picture of eternity. What we're going through, we will go through maybe a lifetime. But a lifetime compared to an eternity is that. It's a blink, the blink of an eye. Now, let me explain this image that Jesus is giving to us. I believe it's a wedding image. What's happening here is in that culture, there were two steps to the process of marriage. The first step was called the, the step of being betrothed. And we talked about that during our Christmas series. But 
Remember that it's not like being engaged today. So if Beth and I were to be betrothed, what would happen is we would enter into a sacred commitment where we say our vows to one, what we would call our vows to one another. And we become legally married, but we don't live together. Now, there are a couple of reasons for that. Sometimes it was the age of the bride, but more often than not, it was to give the groom time, and these were typically prepared marriages as ours was. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought that would be a really dumb thing when I was a kid, but as a parent, I'm saying, amen, right? <laughs> so anyways, so we were married legally, but we're not living together, and we haven't celebrated the union with a wedding. That, that's the second phase. So this first phase of this first phase can last often, it was very common for it to last a year. So for a year, we're married, but we're not together. So what am I doing in that year? Well, as the husband, I am building a place for us to live. In that time, I'm preparing. Now, it could be another room on my parents' house, but usually what it was, was a home that was connected to my parents' house. And that would be our home. And we, I would not get her until that home was done. See, I, was preparing, I would be preparing a place for her, and when it was ready, I would go and I would take her so that she could be where I am. Do you see the image? And so I go, and I'm done, and now the groomsmen and I go dancing down the street. I would do it for you, but you wouldn't recognize it as dancing. And I would go, and I would pick up Beth, and we would have oftentimes a wedding ceremony that could last a week. What is Jesus saying? Guys, you know this image. He's saying, you are the bride. I am the groom. The church is what? The bride of Christ. I am going, I am going to prepare a place, an eternal home for you. And when I'm ready, and you don't know when that's going to be. The bride didn't know when that was going to be, which is why you see Jesus share um, a parable about the, the bridesmaids being prepared. You don't know when that time's going to be, but when it's right, I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you to be where I am. See, the bride knew because there was already this covenant together. The bride knew the husband was coming. When I gave my life to Jesus, I entered, God brought me into his new covenant so that I'm his forever child. I know one day, I don't know when that day is, but I know one day he's coming to take me, that I may be where he is. Do you see that? It is so beautiful. It is so powerful. What an encouragement to know. What an encouragement to know that I will not be alone. In fact, it says in Romans 8 that even the moment I take my last breath and my heart stops, even the moment my brain ceases to function, I am not separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Which leads us to the third thing that's so powerful. Friends, I have probably, I have done well over, well over 200 funerals over the years. Um, and one thing that I've, and I, I probably quote this passage every time, in some way, shape, or form. I have never caught this before. It never struck me before until this week. Listen to this. Jesus will come back and take you to be with him. Now, I just, you just said that. You're thinking, yeah, you just said that. Now, listen to this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Who's coming back? Who's coming back to take you? Jesus is. I, I, I never struck me before. He's not sending an angel, hey, you know, I don't have time for that. I got a really busy schedule today. Hey, why don't you go get him? Why don't you go get her? Jesus is coming back to take us for what purpose? That we may be with him. That we may be with Jesus. I hear people say all the time, and, and I get it. Oh, you know, you're going to get to, somebody's dying, and you're going to get to see uh, grandma and grandpa. You're going to get to see dad. You're going to get to, and all of that is great. Thing. All of that's wonderful, and it's all true. You're going to get to go be with Jesus. Does that stir our souls? Or are we just thinking, yeah, I get to live forever and get to hang out with my friends forever and my family forever? No. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But Jesus is saying, so that you may be with me. Does Jesus mean that much to you? That was one of the questions I had to ask myself this week. Does that stir my soul? Does that stir my soul? Jesus isn't sending anybody else to come get me. He's going to come get me. I mean that much to him. He's that crazy about me, and he's that crazy about you. He's going to come and usher us into heaven. He's going to come get us. Now, I don't know when that is. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to trust. Believe in God? Yes, believe also in me. Do what I have commanded you to do. Now, let me just say a couple things about heaven that, um, that I don't do very often, but I think is important here. Um, and I'm going to say this very fast, but heaven is more than you could even imagine. I was looking at this great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to what it says. And it's more than talking about heaven, but I think heaven's part of what Jesus is saying here, is 1 Corinthians 2. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that absolutely amazing? 
I can't even conceive of how incredible heaven is going to be. I don't have the categories, I don't believe, to even comprehend it with my finite, limited mind. It's far greater than what I can imagine and what you can imagine. In heaven, we're going to see God. I love this quote from Job, one of my favorites from Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you hear the faith of that? I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And as he reflects on this reality, he says this, how my heart yearns within me. Is that your heart today? Does your heart yearn to see God face to face? Does your heart yearn to be in the presence of God in heaven? That's the beauty of heaven. And heaven will be a reunion. We see this throughout scripture. But I love this in Genesis 25, that Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. I believe in Scripture, um, and it, I believe that what Scripture teaches, I should say, is that heaven's going to be a reunion. Yeah, I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to be with my mom. Yeah, I'm going to be with my wife. Yeah. But I'm going to get to see God. And I'm going to get to be with my Savior. Here's the last thing that I want you to see this morning. And Jesus has provided a way for us to live with him. A few weeks ago, I did, um, I did the chapel at Ontario Christian Elementary School. And I just threw this together this morning, so I hope it works. But this is, what is this? Oh, this is the smartest group I've ever worked with. <laughs> totally. This is an airplane. And I said to the kids, I said, now, where would you, if you had an airplane, where would you like to go? And they're giving me all these different cool places all over the world. Yeah, that would be so great. Although, honestly, most of them were saying, like, Michigan, Texas. <laughs> Hello. And, I'm, and I said to them, I said, you know, what about heaven? I said, can, can this take you to heaven? No, it can't take me to heaven. Well, how do we get to heaven? So they were giving their answers, and as they did, I cut my little paper airplane, and um, I'm, I'm, uh, I can play with scissors, so... And although I get my thumb stuck in it, and I said, there's only one way that we can go to heaven. And that's by the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh. I saw it online, please. <laughs> and this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. Listen to what he said. He says, you know, you know the way to the place where I'm going. You know it. He says, and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, he said, and this is the most important thing, words you will ever hear in your life. Ever. Ever. 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, our world wants to say there are many ways to God. There aren't. Jesus didn't give us many ways to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't many roads to heaven. Now, we want that because we have this sense in ourselves where we're very compassionate as people, and we want everybody to go to heaven. But God did not give us that as an option. There is only one way for us to go to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so let me just close with helping us to understand what he's saying here. Number one, Jesus provides the way through reconciliation with God. What is reconciliation? There's brokenness, and now God has rec- uh, Jesus has reconciled us. How has he reconciled us? Through the cross. Because our relationship with God was broken because of our sinfulness. It created distance with God. So we were broken in that relationship. Jesus went to the cross, and by the cross, through the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God. That is how he is the way. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? It's proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The cross is the only access to God, the Father, to heaven. We see, secondly, that Jesus provides the truth, which is illumination. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Jesus said, uh, Paul writes, For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light, hear this, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What is he saying? That God has illuminated our hearts. He's brought light to our eyes that we can see. We can see God. We can see the truth. We can comprehend the truth. Friends, the greatest moment of life is seeing God in his word and through what he's created, is to see it through his truth. He illuminates that we may understand. He illuminates that we may comprehend. He illuminates that we may receive him as our Savior and our Lord. I was with my dad. Uh, I go be with my dad every Friday and yesterday, and, and we're reading through the Gospel of John, and we're in John 8 right now, and we read about Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we talk together what that means. What that means. <clears throat> I said, Dad, God wants you to see. He wants you to understand. He wants you to know. A few weeks ago, I was I read scripture with him and and we were in the Gospel of John and my dad was real quiet afterward and I said, Dad, what are you thinking? And his eyes were closed and he opened them, he looked at me and he said, I'm just believing. 
the illumination of truth. And the third thing, he gives life through regeneration. What is regeneration? God makes us spiritually alive. Alive! Like Frankenstein, he's alive! I was spiritually dead, and so were you, before God came and gave us light. Listen to what it says in Titus 3.5. Jesus saved us, not because of our works done by, uh, done, works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, oh, praise God, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, friends, is simply this. This is all it is. We were dead, and now we're alive. You don't have to wait till you die to experience, begin to experience the wonders of what Jesus has done for us. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, it's all about the regeneration. You are a new creation in Christ. And now, let us continue the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus began. Let us continue to bring light and life and all the places that God calls us to be that the world may know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the amazing God that you are. Thank you that we might have life, life, regeneration, reconciliation, illumination. God, give us the ability to see what is unseen. Give us the ability to live according to what you have already done in us that we may fulfill your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.